Hi, I'm Will Heinmarch, and I'm a gamer because I love it when uh, imaginations collide during play. It's not enough for me to uh, be reading stories or writing stories or watching movies, whatever it is. I love the moment when the, of creation when it's all too hot to handle and it's still molten and it's moving between everybody's heads like lightning and you don't know what's going to happen next and anything is possible. And uh, also, and this is the real thing, is uh, I'm a big enough nerd that I don't think anybody else would have me. So, I'm Will Heinmarch, and I'm the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. This is the Vorpal Network. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine for gamers of all types, and listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon store. Hey, this is Mike Merles, lead developer of 4th Edition, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, we're going to test out some new ideas as we give advice on how to be a good playtester for D&D Next. Today's episode will be look a little different. Rather than giving some advice to players and then advice to DMs, we're going to talk to Dave the Game Chalker, who has some great advice for being a good playtester, and later we'll chat with Mike Merles from Wizards of the Coast. Right on. So first, Dave, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you, thank you. I always feel like we're going home again whenever you're on. <laughs> uh, we're going to dig right into uh, some quick news things and see sort of what they've been talking about and about regarding D&D Next um, with our continuing coverage here. So the last three blog posts, because there's only three new ones since we've last uh, recorded, include uh, magic item construction, customizing monsters, and ranger design goals. Um, the magic item construction one sort of uh, asks the question, do we want a system where you just have basically a bunch of different properties and you can apply them to magic items as you see fit and sort of customize and build your own? Do you want one where every magic item is completely unique or do we want some sort of combination thereof? Thoughts? I vote for combo. Yeah, combo does seem the way to go. I mean, there's certainly advantages and disadvantages to both. So I think this is one thing where a, a new approach would would really help the game a lot. Hmm. And I don't know how how new of an approach that is. I mean, that seems to be have been fair, a fairly common um, way of approaching magic item construction, hasn't it? Well, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I think they've, you know, as outlined in the blog post, they've really tried both various measures, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, always build from these few things and also here's some unique ones or everything is unique and, you know, there's no overlap and you can't really move these properties from one to the other. I think there's both a, a middle ground there that can bring some of the magic back to magic items, but also provide advice on how to best build them and how they would make sense in the system. So you're not just kind of flying blind the whole way. Sure. And, and there, are, there are some properties that it seems, it feels like there's no good reason that, you know, flaming could apply to a sword, but couldn't apply to, you know, a dagger. You know, there, there's certain properties where it makes sense that it should be, you should be able to find that property on different, different items, right? That it wouldn't be entirely unique. Um, but there are other properties where, well, of course that should be unique, right? Um, you know, the, the iron bands of Bellaro, for example, is not something that I want to necessarily see in other forums. <laughs> that should be unique. But so the question is, is flaming enough on its own? The fact that it's generic enough to apply to a sword and an axe, does that mean it's interesting and, you know, we should have those? Mm-hmm. 
Right. And then the the other thing, having come start it with fourth edition for me is m- what is magic in for- a magic item in fourth edition is a little strange compared to pa- uh, previous editions because you didn't have you don't have uh, mundane items that have a lot of properties. Mm-hmm. Like in in order for it to have a property, a lot of times it has to be considered quote unquote magic. Yeah, although there's a there are a lot of um, mundane items that do have various abilities and interesting things that they can do in fourth edition. Um, they just, I don't know, other than brutal, they don't tend to come up very much as, as interesting enough to be compelling without it also being magical. Well, and, and didn't those come out later? Like if a lot of them did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we still tend to call them magic, but I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. No. In some cases, like with some of the, the more unique or, or masterwork, um, armors and right. things that they, they, are almost always applied to something that's already magical anyway. Yeah. So, and, and I think our opinion that, that some sort of combination is is the best option seems to be pretty popular as well because it's one of the most overwhelmingly uh, popular choices in the poll. Um, it's one of the few polls where I've seen well over a majority pick one option. Yeah, well, and the different settings have different levels of magic, too. So for something like Eberron, you need more magic items than Mm -hmm. in a swords and sorcery type game. Right on. The next article, then, is about uh, customizing monsters. And how do we want to go about that? Do we want to have sort of a baseline, here's what a goblin looks like, and now here's a bunch of templates or themes or whatever you can apply to to that monster to to make it unique and interesting? Um, and they don't have a poll or a question that they really get into here. That just a discussion about how do you know how are we going to approach the idea of taking monsters and customizing them and, and that kind of stuff. Any thoughts on there? I, I do think having the ability to customize monsters is is a big plus. I mean, what four E did was it basically customized a bunch of monsters for you uh-huh. and gave them as part of one entry. And again, I think. You know, what they're trying to accomplish is that you can have a group of all goblins and they're all, you know, not uniform and they all do interesting things and, you know, it changes up your your way of thinking and your tactics. But at the same time, I think it's, you know, you can make it a little more robust and have these different pieces that you can apply, you know, hopefully on the fly to make it easy to, to vary those encounters. Yeah, although 4th edition's approach is, was a little bit... Because they, they just created a wide variety of, of different types of one monster, they were able to stray from the base a little bit further in, in some cases, right? Um, which – and still make – you know, you could have a, an archer goblin and a, you know a melee goblin and have them all feel like goblins but not have to start with sort of a base goblin that you then added a template to or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I think if the, the base monsters are simple enough or, you know, mm-hmm. like goblins and orcs and whatnot are ones that you want a lot of variety, but there are other monsters you don't necessarily need as much variety in, and yeah. those are going to be more complicated to start with. But stuff like goblins, I think you can make a, a simple enough, you know, proto-goblin to then have to vary however you need. Of course, that starts begging the question as a DM, um, do I want to feel like I'm statting out a PC every time I need a new monster? You know, so, sometimes I just want to have a collection of goblins to choose from. Yeah, and again, the, the what you really want is to have that system be simple and robust enough that you can 
do it on the fly and, you know, make it not feel like work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, it, too, as we start seeing things that add a uh, tactical uh, element back into the game, that if you have something that's too simple, it'll be difficult to use. Yeah, I'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this all comes about. What, what I'm seeing more than anything, though, is I look at these these two articles about uh, magic items and, and monsters, is I'm seeing them start to work on some of the um, modular rules almost, you know, <laughs> where they're trying to add now, okay, so here we've given you a base thing, and now we're going to start sh- working on some things to customize the game. Um, and so that's where I think they're sort of at. You know, the, a lot of the questions we've, or a lot of the articles we've been getting for a long time have just been really basic stuff. This is starting to get into some more of that unique customization stuff that I think we're going to see down the road that, that will, will convince some of the, the D&D Next uh, skeptics that maybe this has got something going on that's interesting for them. Yeah, I think these specifically are are going to be more core than some of the modular stuff, mm-hmm. but they're going to be still dials that you can turn wherever you need to. You yeah. know, you could run a game with all unmodified monsters, but here's these options that are part of the core game, you know, wherever you need it. Or, you know, here's the basic baseline for magic items, which you can ignore or not use. But, you know, if you, yeah, like Tracy said, if you want to use Eberron, you crank it way up. If you're using Dark Sun, you crank it all the way to zero, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Then the last uh, blog post they had was about the ranger design goals, and they more or less boiled it down to these are the four things that we think define a ranger. Uh, A ranger is a wilderness hunter tracker. They're a warrior, they're a protector, and they're friends with wild creatures. And that's how they sort of summarized what a ranger is. Do we feel like those four things cover it? Um, I feel pretty good about those. Um, I think it's interesting that they didn't mention spellcasting, mm-hmm. but uh, I certainly don't consider spellcasting to be a core thing of the Ranger. You know, sure. Uh, enough variants have existed out there, and all the additions to make them non-magical that you know that concept appeals to enough people. I think it doesn't need to be core. I think the the inclusion of protector is interesting. Because that's not always how I've thought of rangers. Um, you know, that, that almost makes it feel like, well, then they're supposed to be defenders. Or if you go the pure, you know, the, the protector of nature, I've always sort of, I've always felt the druid more in that direction than the ranger. You know, not that the ranger can't fill that role, but, not, but the ranger doesn't necessarily have to fill that role. Well, but I've always felt like the ranger is um, kind of akin to the paladin where it sits between two classes. Uh, while still being its own concept, so mm-hmm. so I guess that does, that's where I've always found the ranger. But yeah, obviously you disagree. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't necessarily disagree. I just don't know that protector is is in my mind as essential as the other th- three things on the list. See, I, I see it as you know the the druid is the you know defender quote unquote of nature and mm-hmm. stays in the woods and protects them, while the ranger is. The best defense is a good offense and goes after, you know, whoever threatens them and is more the, I'm going to kill you before you can burn down the forest type. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's I think that's pretty accurate. And that's that's almost why I have a hard time just saying, well, yeah, they're a protector then, right? It's Well, you know, he's a protector in the same way Batman's a protector. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And I certainly wouldn't make him a defender in, exactly. in, in, the, in the fourth edition sense. 
So, uh, now that we've talked about D&D Next News, we should probably talk about some Tome News. Episode 200 is coming up. I'm in charge of that, so that'll be fun. Coming up very soon. This is episode 197, so you got like three episodes left to figure out what you're doing. I know. I'll figure it out. <laughs> We're also doing a bunch of live podcast recordings at Gen Con. Yeah, Everyone's going to attend, right? I'm totally going to be there. You know, I, I was shocked today. I went on and, and looked at sort of which ones have tickets that have been sold and, and how many. Mm-hmm. And the lowest ticket sales are for the Gamer to Gamer Live recording, which features Chris Perkins. Yeah, like, it does. Like, are you going to seriously not get jump on the opportunity to go and listen to Chris Perkins be grilled about his his experience as a gamer? And then the the plan, I think, is to, you know, ask our standard set of questions and then spend quite a bit of time letting the audience come up and ask questions. So if you ever wanted to ask Chris Perkins about his gaming life and, and how he does what he does, how he weaves the magic, this is your chance to do it, but you got to be there. It's Saturday at six during Gen Con. We'll have links to uh, the various pages on the, the website. I hope to see people go. Dave, are you going to make it to any of them? Uh, I'll try. Sweet. Gen Con's always insane. Yeah, it is. It is, and and we uh, we conveniently scheduled um, our episode, the the Dean, uh, the, the Tome Show advice episode, um, just before the innies. The innies are like what at seven? Yeah, uh, I think so. And and we we record from six to seven, so <laughs> it'll be tight for for people that want to make it to the innies. All right, so we also want to let you know to to keep a lookout for upcoming episodes. We have the book club coming up this month is Spinner of Lies. Uh, we're doing a D&D Next playtest review. This is our D&D Next playtest advice. And then we're going to review sort of our experiences as D&D Next playtesters. Uh, and then off into July where we have all kinds of other things planned. Uh, before we get into all of the advice, then let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, Continue Magazine. It's a quarterly magazine all about gaming, all kinds of gaming, video gaming, board gaming, Wargaming Role-Playing. If you play games, Continue Magazine is written for you. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community. The global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. All right, so now now we should talk about the playtester advice. Uh, for how to playtest D&D Next, or probably pretty much any game. Uh, I think a lot of the advice is probably universal, right? Yeah. Should we go through a little bit of our experiences as playtesters, far and wide? Let's make Dave start. Alrighty. Um, So I've been a playtester in some official capacity for a little over 10 years now. Uh, I worked for Looney Labs, which was kind of my first job in the industry, and playtested games there, and I playtested a whole bunch of board and card games and party games from a bunch of different companies, um, both ones that would eventually be released and published and 
some not so much. Um, I've been a D&D playtester for about two years, and I was one of the lead playtest coordinators on the Marvel Heroic role-playing game for Margaret Weiss Productions. Very good. Tracy, what have you playtested? I've playtested mostly D&D stuff, although a few other games uh, as well. But I, I've only been doing playtesting for a little over a year or so. Right on. Yeah, I had some early playtesting experiences back in the, the third edition D&D days, um, and mostly for third-party companies. Um, although it, at that time I, I was playtesting basically – I wasn't that great of a playtester, I guess is what I should say, because I was mostly playtesting stuff by reading through it and then sending responses without actually getting a chance to play it because I didn't have a in-person group at the time, so it was hard to fit it into an online game in a timely manner. And, uh, and then I didn't playtest for a long time, and I've been playtesting again for uh, about a year or so, um, largely 4th edition D&D stuff. So, um, and I, I was also in on the friends and family playtest with D and D next, so I, we've been I've been doing that for a few extra months longer than than the open playtesting. I think both of you are probably in that crew, also, right? Yep. 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 I figured. So, what have we learned? What have we learned about being a playtester? And I think I, I, I sort of alluded to one thing: um, your playtesting experience is much more. Uh, useful if you've had an opportunity to actually play tested, <laughs> you know, uh, reading through and giving some opinions and thoughts on things is, is one thing, but you don't actually know how it's going to work at the table until you've actually played it. Yeah. So the, the real difference between those, especially when you're giving feedback, um, back to wizards in this case is that you really need to clearly delineate it. Because there's, you know, when you're reading stuff, you can definitely give feedback on this was confusing. We didn't understand how this works. You know, I don't see how this fit with this other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is very different than we played this and it it worked like this. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, both are valuable in different ways. But, yeah, getting the whole picture, you know, what you didn't understand when you read it and then how things actually played are pretty big differences. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think there's some, some validity to both. I mean, if you don't understand the rule when you read it, then that's going to impact how you play it. But I think it's, it's worth noting in, in your responses, well, I read this, I wasn't sure how it worked, we, this is how we played it, and this is our experience playing it that way. But it could, you know, it's important for them to know how you actually ran it and how you interpreted what was there because it, that, it may not have been the way they, they intended it to be, you know? And that, that'll impact entirely how, how helpful that feedback is. Yeah. And sometimes, and so one of the things I've been hearing a lot are people wanting, are, are people creating their own content for D&D Next at this stage? And I don't, I, I'm sure you guys have opinions on it as well, but it, it seems kind of hard for me because they want to know how the stuff is working with this, with the information they're giving out. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when you're a playtester, you have to you have to play through what you're you're kind of given. Right, and, and it's tricky because a lot of people I think are are have joined the public playtest because they want to see what the new edition of D and D is going to be, mm-hmm. not necessarily because they really want to be a playtester. You know what right. I mean? You know what I mean? And so they want to play the new edition before it comes out, but that's not the same thing as playtesting. Playtesting is a whole different animal. 
Um, you know, when we when I get my group together, we actually spend half of our time playing our normal campaign because that's you know we want to tell stories and we want to do do our own thing. And then we spend half of our time playtesting because the two things are not the same. And when you're playtesting, you say, okay, this is what they've given us. This is what we need to run so that we can give feedback on this because they're looking for very specific information. And if we, if we go off the rails from what they've given us, then we're ex- having a different experience than what they're trying to get out of us. Does that make sense? Yep. It's, it's like you have the difference between giving feedback as a playtester and, hey, I got a free game. Right. <laughs> And, 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 you know, the other stuff will come. Like, I, I feel like the, the D&D Next stuff, a lot of people want to have character creation rules and they want to have uh, different adventures that focus on other, other things than, than what uh, the Caves of Chaos does. Um, I th- those will be there. You know, it's not like they're yeah. ne- it's not like they're never going to play test character creation rules, but that's not what they want right now. What they want right now is here are some very specific mechanics and we want to see how they play at your table and, and what's fun and what's not. Right. And I think that's important too, is that the feedback doesn't all have to be this mechanic that doesn't make sense or we misinterpreted this or we weren't sure about that. It can also be, you know, this worked, but was it really fun? You know, I don't know. Yeah. So I tend to think of playtesting as having kind of a, a hierarchy of importance, especially with role-playing games, where the, the highest level is actually some of the most important, which is the, the actual feel, you know, was it fun when I play again? And then below that, you have the kind of core mechanical stuff, like here's how combat works, you know, here's um, exploration of your skills, and then you get the the really granular detail level, like this one ability is too powerful, or, you know, this monster doesn't make sense, whatever. Um, And so the higher up you go, you know, the the more it can change the other stuff, because if the feel's all off, they're going to have to change some of the core mechanics, and if they're changing the core mechanics, they have to change all the details. Right. Because otherwise, you know, it doesn't sync up. So, you know, they're all important. And I know, you know, looking at the, the survey that they've already sent out, you know, they're looking for all three levels. But just keep in mind that, you know, that top level stuff is the most important just because it affects all the way down everything. Right. And I think a lot of that they, they tried to... They try to nail some of that top level stuff early on, right? In their own internal playtests, and then they in the friends and family playtests. I think a lot of it was very much focused on that, so that when it came time to to show it to the public, um, it wouldn't be as likely that somebody that that the majority opinion is going to be, well, this doesn't feel like D and D at all, and make them go back and start from scratch. You know? Yeah. And it's a game there that it's not just crashing and burning as soon as it hits people's tables. Like, it does function as a game, at the very least, which is, you know, probably the most important part. Mm-hmm. But still, there's, I think, noting, you know, what kind of, um, you know, can you run a d- game of D&D with it? You know, does it feel like D&D? Did you have fun? You know, that kind of thing is pretty important. And totally subjective in a lot of ways, but, you know, they're trying to, the, the reason for the open play test is they're trying to cast a wide net and get a range of opinions. Even if, you know, an adventure like Caves of Chaos isn't your style, like if you're still picking up on other bits that you like, that's very important feedback to them. Right. And and one thing I know, I didn't, I haven't necessarily learned it from the D&D Next stuff, but from playtesting other D&D things is that sometimes the thing that we get at first to, to playtest can be completely changed later on mm-hmm. because because of the problems they find out. So 
trying to judge too far in advance at times can be a little difficult um given what you what we what we have now sure well even as a friends and family playtester we've uh, we've now seen what three different versions of the rules uh and 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 we can see over the course of just a few months how much things have changed yeah and and they've changed a lot uh particularly you know even from december it's been crazy mm-hmm. and i can guarantee that especially you know when the next total version comes out after this one to the open play test there are going to be things that people out there really liked in that original one that are going to be gone by the next one. Mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of the beast, you know. Like, if enough people said they, they hated the surprise system, then that's going to be gone. But, you know, every mechanic is going to have somebody that, out there that passionately loves it. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to say, you know, the game that I'm playing now is, is going to change, including things that I already like, you know. It's not just going to be all the things that... I dislike. And even when we're doing the last round of playtesting, <laughs> that still does not mean that's going to be the game that you're going to see in the final product. Yep. Yeah. And and on, on top of it, they may decide to test two different things in two different versions, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they've uh, turned away from the first one they put out. They just need it to compare it to the second one. Right. And, and I think it's also worth noting that... You know, you're not wrong for liking that, or as you say, if they put out two different versions, um, you know, they're not saying that mechanic is bad and, you know, you should feel bad for liking it. It's just they have to explore all these options, you know, and determine because, you know, something may be good, but then they try something else and it's way more awesome and works better with all the other pieces. Then that's something they need to find out. Yeah. And I I, I think the. The system that Watsi's taking is actually also pretty interesting. Um, most playtest experiences that I've had involve here's here's a thing, here's a product. We want you to playtest it. They might give you some guidance, like these are the things we really want to focus on and see what, see what's working, what's not working, or these are the things we're not sure about. But, but you know, play it, play as much as you can, and let us know what you think. And then you send them back your feedback, and then you never hear from it until the final product comes out, and then you see sort of what what what's there. Um, we're seeing a much more – this playtesting process is much more about a, a slow development, right? They give us a little chunk. You give some feedback on it. They give us a new chunk or maybe a, a modified version of what you had before. You play, do it again. We are much more – in the D&D Next playtesting, we are much more a part of the development process than most products get. And that's probably a really good thing, right, because this is the core of a game that, that hopefully has a lot of legs. Yeah, and – it goes to what you were saying about splitting the group between your campaign and the playtesting part where, you know, I, I'm in this awkward position, like I'm sure other people are, where we would love to be playing a campaign of D&D Next right now and have ideas, but it was just not enough there yet. And, mm-hmm. you know, if we started to develop other stuff, it would, it would go further afield. But at the same time, you know, we'd really like to be playing, but, you know, this is kind of occupying the headspace. Um, and it can put you in, in kind of a weird position, but it is really, you know, the, the game is better as a result of the this playtesting process. Even if, you know, we'd all prefer to have the finished book and have it be awesome in our hands tomorrow, you know, it's just not going to happen. Like, there's, like, game design is a lot of work, you know, mm-hmm. and I think uh, this process, you know, will demonstrate that to a lot of people. And I think they'd rather have... Oh no! I take that. Back. I know. I would rather have as a D and D fan. I would rather have 
a product that is well thought out and well designed and has a lot of input and a lot of things tried out and tested and to see if it works and see what doesn't work and lots of open playtesting like this so that you don't have, um, you know, you don't have quite as many warts to work through and you have a better game for everybody at the end. You know, I don't, I don't want to see a situation where you have 3.0 and then 3.5 because they, they put out 3.0, found a lot of mistakes or things they wanted to fix. And so a few years later they had to update it. Um, you know, they sort of use 3.0 as a play test for what became 3.5, right? Yeah. And well, and one thing I've heard from a few different of my friends who've play tested this is sometimes the first game or two doesn't go great. <laughs> like, because they're used to playing a, a certain way that's not yeah. necessarily the style of Caves of Chaos. So they they try to play that way, particularly somebody coming from Fortnite into it that. Like, I can take over anything because this is totally balanced, right? <laughs> no, no, it's not balanced. And and like, and like and that's cool if that's not your style or anything. I'm not trying to argue that it's a, a better way of playing, but it, it is what it what it is. And right. if and you may have a terrible first game or two uh, until you until you kind of see where it where it's at. Yeah, and, I think. And this this core experience that we're getting with the the playtest as it stands now anyway uh feels very old school gaming i mean it feels very first and second edition to me um that doesn't mean that D next is going to feel like first and second edition at least not in its entirety right um we are just looking at a very specific segment so so i wouldn't start making judgments about whether the game is good or not based on the playtest material you're getting now you're just getting an idea of certain mechanics, not the whole game. Yeah, and if that bothers you, you know, just wait. Yeah. You know, like it's... Uh, but that's hard to do. That, <laughs> that's hard to do, Dave. But <laughs> I want to you know, know now. Right. But, you know, judging the entire system, like, you're not going to be able to judge it right now. You know, you, you are perfectly able to wait for further uh, versions of the game to come along. And try those out and see for more of their speed. And, you know, as it gets more developed, maybe I'll have a better idea. But, yeah. you know, it's entirely possible right now that the the game as it's presented is not one you want to play, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel that it doesn't uh, match up totally to my style. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm willing to, to see what's coming down the road before I make a Absolutely. total decision, you yeah. know. Well, and Dave, you remember me in December. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to talk about the charging into a room of 20 bucks, right? Never again. <laughs> Never again. But yeah. hey, I was the Cobalt Chieftain for a while. So Yeah, until we all died. Until we all died. I did not do that, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't charge in. It was the other guy. But you fell into the trap. In any case, um, you know, and I find that right now where things are is not super pleasing to me. And I think my group, which is largely fourth edition players, um, don't find what they're playtesting hugely satisfying but that's that's where the beauty of, of sort of my system go- is right we play every other week but we play for say six to eight hours at a time so if we dedicate half of our time to playing our fourth edition campaign and half of our time to play testing then we can we can all get in what we want but also can feel like we're contributing and, and doing this play testing stuff and sort of seeing how it all develops and and on all kind of stuff and so um i think we've got a pretty good a pretty good system going on so if if you're trying to figure out how to balance all those things, you know, because if you just play D and D next all the time, I think you're, you'll get burned out pretty quick on it, um, because it's not it's not a finished game. <laughs> yeah, um, not only so, that. So mix it up and play some other stuff. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and 
you know, the fact of the matter is that they also need to hear people say, you know, um, who are D&D players that this version of D&D is not meeting my needs, you know, like they still need to hear from the people, you know, who this is not their style mm-hmm. to, to tell them that because the, the entire goal of the thing is to, you know, cast broad enough strokes to be able to catch D&D players. And, you know, if there's a segment they're not catching, they need to hear that and why, you know. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, last bits of advice before we move on to the interview? Nope. All right. And if anybody uh, does need a little bit more guidance, I'm going to link them over to critical-hits.com because you wrote a great article on how to be a good playtester over there. Why, thank you. It was in many ways the the impetus that made me think, hey, we should we should do this and have Dave on. Yep, and of course, you know, after that, they asked for the first round of feedback, and it invalidated some of the stuff I wrote anyway, but you know. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully some of that was useful to people looking to be better playtesters. Now we're going to go over and talk to the folks at Watsi and see if they have any specific things they're looking for from the D&D Next playtest experience. All right, and we're now here with Mike Merle, Senior Manager of D&D. Welcome to the show. Cool, thanks for having me. Welcome back to the show. I think this is your third or fourth appearance I think it's my fourth. That sounds about right. right yeah, because there's been a couple at Gen Con, there's one at Origins, and I think this is my, my fourth time. Yeah, very good. you got a good memory. <laughs> I, I have a very selective memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate that you remember us. Uh, so we're going to primarily be talking to you about uh, playtesting. That's what this mm-hmm. whole episode is and this whole month of, of episodes is, is themed around, is playtesting D&D Next. Um, so we wanted to sort of start off with, uh, you know, how can one be a good playtester? What kind of feedback should they be providing? How should they be playing it in order to get the, the experiences that you're looking for? You know, just generally speaking, if I want to be the best playtester I can be to make, help you make the best game possible, how do I do that? So the first thing would be to give feedback. Uh, we have, uh, surveys, uh, polls, that if you sign up and download the playtest packet directly from us and create an account, that lets us get in touch with you to send you a link to these surveys. Um, so that's the first step is to to sign up, get the packet from us. Uh, even if you're just playing, like even if your DM is providing everything, if you still go ahead and sign up just so you have that account and just so you're getting the email asking for your feedback, that is definitely step one. Because without that, we don't really have a way to communicate with you. Um, step two then is... The way I think I'd approach it, or the way I'd like people to approach it, um, is when you first start playing, use the rules as written as much as you can. Because part of what we're looking at is the DM's role within the game and how rules, their absence or their presence, or using advice in place of a hard, hard mechanic, how that affects the game and how that affects the DM's experience. So that's what I'd say is the, 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 say the, the next step. You know, So you're talking to us, and now you're playing the game as written. And then I think the next step after that is to think, well, how do you want to change it? You know, Are there areas where, that you wanted to house rule as you were playing? The specifics of how you'd want to house rule it aren't necessarily as important as knowing these are issues. This is what was causing you the, someone to be unhappy or wanting them to, or they were just wishing the game worked some different way. So I think if you approach it with those three things in mind – that's pretty much hitting on what we're looking for, especially at this stage. Okay. And um, as people provide feedback, there might be this uh, tension where they really 
wrote this awesome, heartfelt blog post about how they hated this one thing or disliked it, and then they see another playtest version and it's still there, how how should they react to that? Well, I think the best way is in, in a lot of so there, there's two reasons why that might that might happen. Um, it could be that at this stage we haven't addressed an issue yet, and as we release updates, we'll be very clear about you know. In this update, where we are changing X, Y, and Z, and here's why. So it might be that you might just find, let's say, for example, that you're really frustrated because you really liked having um, the uh, the four E power system for your spellcaster or for your character. Um, and so we'd be pretty upfront in saying, hey, in this update, we're talking about skills and we're addressing hit points. We're not really talking about character options yet. Um, and then I think after that point, if we do change something. Uh, it's still important to keep giving us feedback because what I think will happen is, uh, so to give you an example, um, we had the, the friends and family playtest, which was sort of our first phase of playtesting before we went public. Um, we got a lot of feedback on healing and hit points. So that was something that we changed. We made some changes to, we added the hit die mechanic. We changed how cleric healing worked a little bit. And then we implemented those in the public playtest. Well, we're still getting that same feedback. So it's still useful for us to see that, hey, we tried fixing something and we haven't hit the mark. You know, maybe things are better, maybe they're worse, but at the end of the day, people saw a problem, we try to fix it, and they still have that same problem. So I think that it, that's still very useful to see that, you know, if you ask us, if you want to see something change, hasn't changed yet, it, it could be just because we haven't gotten to it, or it might be just because we tried to fix it and we haven't succeeded. And I think that's going to be an important thing to keep in mind is nothing is set in stone. You know, it's all really about getting that feedback and shaping the game in response to what people expect from D&D, you know, or what people are looking for from the game. So it sounds like with each set of updated, updates to the rules or, or each set of you know, playtest pack, packets that playtesters are getting, you're looking at very specific things. For, yes, for exactly. each one, you know, you mentioned one of them. You might be focused on skills, and another one might be focused on you know class mechanics or whatever. Um, so, how regularly should we be expecting to see these updates? Are we expecting you know a new one every every other month, or are we looking at you know four to six months in between? Yeah, so um, it, it it'll it'll be quicker than say uh, four to six months. Um, the trick we have right now is we're we're just, the the initial playtest survey is still out there. I think it closes today. Actually, uh, today's the fourteenth. It closed yesterday. I missed it by oh, a day. Oh. I, lo- I logged in today and it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> so so what'll happen is we will then take that survey data and start and use that as as the starting point. So a little bit just depends on what we're seeing from the feedback. Now what we've seen so far, obviously I mentioned the hit point issue because we'll, we've been looking at the results as they've been coming in. We don't just you know wait until it's done then then look at it then. Um, but we also didn't want to start actually making changes until the survey was closed, just in case things started changing halfway through. Um, so what will typically happen is when the survey closes, we will probably the following Monday have the full the full results. And we'll also, the big thing that we're really looking to do is match like the player preferences or addition preferences people have noted. That's we ask, those are part of the questions we ask and start comparing those to what people are seeing our issues with the rules. Because our first step is really to say, hey, is this a problem with the core rule set that it's a rule that a problem that everyone regardless of play style is seeing? Or is this an issue that specific play styles are seeing? So maybe that points us more toward, you know, this is something we can fix through a rules module or an optional rule. Right, where for instance, let's say, um, 
let's say that if um, one of the things we've gotten for feedback so far is people like that combat's very fast, but we might find that, uh, and I'll just make up numbers, right? But let's say three quarters of uh, the respondents like that com- the, the like the speed of combat. They're happy with how how fast it's going, but a quarter are unhappy. And we figure out, hey, that quarter, those are mainly people who also were unhappy that the fighter didn't ha- didn't have enough options, or they really think that mini- miniatures should be a required part of D anD D, or at least an expected part of D anD D. So that kind of helps us create almost a profile of saying, well, people who like these two or three things, this is where they're unhappy. So that's going to point us more towards saying we need to add a rules module to the game so they can play D and D the way the way that they want to. The um, as opposed to things where if we see more broad based, like yeah, people just in general are unhappy with something. That's pointing more toward fixing something in the core rules or changing something there. So that's going to be kind of part of it too, where we might it probably won't be like say every week or maybe even every month, but. I think that like that five to six week time period is kind of what we're aiming for. Um, and again, it'll just kind of depend on what we're seeing for uh, for feedback. You know, if there's a lot of stuff we need to change or if there are changes that are dependent on other changes being made first, that might either spin that out a little bit more or one of the things I'd like to look at doing but um, is doing more incremental updates. But again, it just kind of depends on what the workflow is looking like. It's something where probably by the end of the summer, we'll have a much better grasp on how quickly we can turn things around. Okay, and you mentioned during that uh, by t- by creating those profiles and starting to look at people maybe want a particular playstyle uh, supported. Those are going to be in the modules. Do you, when do you do you have any idea when we might anticipate those sorts of things coming out? Oh yeah, so one of the things we're looking at now is um, we already know for for example the like the examples I used those weren't by accident. We can already see there's kind of a divide between uh, the complexity of combat. Uh, and what people expect. So that's something we actually we, we already we we just went ahead and began working on it because we kind of knew that would that would be an issue. You know, we 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 knew what we were putting out, what what we see is core right now. So uh, we're actually working on a tactical rules module right now. Um, and ho- my goal for that would be by sometime by the end of the summer. Um, but again, that's not really it's not a hard date because it also kind of depends on if, for example, our final playtest data shows some much more pressing problems. Um, for example, we, we'd rather get healing, uh, do some work there, than spend too much time on the tactical rules. But we also know right now, since the healing, uh, it's still a question mark right now rather than a clear direction. Um, yeah, we have time to, to work on some more optional stuff and also like other character classes and things like that. Right on. So, so most of the playtesting is then going to focus on um, the core stuff, but you might throw in some modular th- things that you want to yeah. have, have at launch? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's probably a good, a good way to look at it. Like the more the core becomes complete and the more s- stable the core is, the more then we can start moving into you know things like the Paladin and Ranger, which are a little hard to define until you have the Fighter defined uh, <laughs> or a Druid, you know. And then also, yeah, uh, modules like the, the combat, um, uh, tactical combat, or even just getting a sense of other kind of some you know out there modules we want to offer, like um, module that gives you know players more narrative control over the campaign, things like that. But yeah, we definitely, we, we need to get the foundation built before we can start doing too much work on, on designing sure. the rooms. You know, and. So, I mean, if you're looking at all these uh, incremental updates and, and you know, each little playtest package really focusing in on, on one or two aspects of the game, and, mm-hmm. and you're looking at releasing those every couple of months or so, um, it looks like the playtest process could go on you know, for years. Yeah. <laughs> how how long exactly do you expect yeah. the whole playtest process to take? I think it's really important for us that we, it takes as much time as it needs because I think the last thing we want to do, you know, we are kind of ask, asking people to kind of like 
take a chance on us. We're, we're doing another edition. We're acutely aware of a lot of people think, hey, an edition should last 10 years. Um, clearly, that's not happening right now. So I think it's incumbent upon us uh, to do well by D&D players to, to, to spend the time it needs, you know, to not rush anything out the door. Um, you know, and, and that said, I think, again, I think it's something where as we start out, it will probably be a little bit slower. And as we get more of the foundation built, uh, one of the nice things we've seen so far is that generally the feedback is has been fairly positive overall. So that's a good sign for us that our core is in a pretty good position and once we get that, the more solid that is, I think the faster that we, that we'll be able to, to proceed. Because again, right now we don't want to go too far ahead unless we know we're standing on very solid ground. Okay, and so while the D and D next and the playtest stuff is is being created, uh, how is that impacting the release of four E products or, or oh. other other things? Oh no, so. Uh, one of the things we specifically did was make sure that within the department, because we still also have like the board games we're working on, 4E stuff we're working on, DDI, uh, we made sure that in terms of balancing our workload. Uh, so right now um, I have uh, within the department, there's uh, 20 people total who work in R&D on D&D. Um, and we have uh, four people uh, who's essentially not counting myself because I kind of work on everything. Um <laughs> But we have uh, we have four people who are basically full time on D and D next, and the rest of the department is they are they're they're helping out. So for example, we might say um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Oh, let's say a class like the sorcerer, right? <laughs> What'll happen is before we actually do any mechanical work on the sorcerer, we'll do a um, a a story pass on it. We'll sort of say, hey, what what is a sorcerer in the world of D and D? What are the key story elements? What are the things we'd expect a sorcerer to have? And that's something where the entire department's involved. Or people like, you know, if we know someone likes sorcerers, they're involved in that conversation. But that might be just be a couple hours a week. And then the, then the actual game design would then go to someone who's working on the game full time, working within that group. And there are other people like maybe the, the, the designers working in the department who maybe like a quarter of their time is spent on next, even if they're not assigned to it full time. So that's something which we're, we're making sure that that's will transition over, you know, as we get closer to the release date, people will be doing more work on next. But for now, it would, it's a balancing act. So sure. Well, and I've had several people point out that it looks like, um, you know, as, as tends to happen as, as you get closer to the end of one edition, you see more and more products coming out that are a little more systemless. Yeah, exactly. is, 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 that's an intentional decision. I assume that's going oh, yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just because we know at this stage, you know, either the um, you know people are just they're thinking of transitioning to the edition. They want something they feel can have more value. It's not just it's just not for for one edition. If it's for for both or all editions, things like that. Yeah, and that's that's something which is which has been kind of a a, a typical thing to do between uh, transitions from one rule set to the next. So now um, we've we've mentioned that it could be some time in the playtesting process. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little curious about, about your, the logistics of what you do in terms of publishing. So mm-hmm. w- once the actual playtesting is finished, mm-hmm. how long does it take before physical products have re- you know, arrived on our shores and are ready to go out to game stores? That's a good question. DM. So typically, um, let's see. So there's a couple things um, that, that have a role in that. For example, like the, the look and feel, the art, uh, layout, any any design of a logo or something like that. Um, that's something that plays a role in it. But typically, like let's say if next week um, we decided or whatever the playtest data showed, 100% of people are absolutely completely nuts for this game and they don't want to see it changed one bit. 
Um, it would probably take us if we did it in the United States, which is where we actually print print books. Like if if you're holding a book in your hand that you know you purchased either like a D and D expansion like um, Heroes of the Feywild or a novel. Those are all printed in the U.S. or in Canada. I forget which. I think I think it's in the U.S. I'm trying to remember the company. Um, anything that's a box set is, t- is typically done in China, in Asia. So usually, let's see, a box set probably takes about nine months from when we turn over the files until it shows up here for sale. And I th- want to say that a book is like three to five months or something like that, three months. The... Um, so that's something that are like like once we feel pretty confident in those first products, um, then we can start like planning out the release date. Now, part of that too is just you know, and we haven't really figured out like you know, as far as the least products go, we haven't really done any work on that yet. The um, but what'll probably happen is I imagine a part is going to be balancing like okay, what's in the, the first wave of stuff? What's coming out later? I mean, obviously we want to have the complete game out to begin with. The, um, but especially when you talk about rules modules and things like that. Also, we'll have to think about like what 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 adventures, accessories, and things like that. So there'll be a lot of questions. Like, so we could even we could finish playtesting next week, but it wouldn't be just a matter of okay, we're done playtesting, we hit a button, and now it's being produced somewhere. There would still be a, a number of questions that, that we would have to work through. So, okay. So so even when the whole process of playtesting is done, which could be a year or more down the road, it's mm-hmm. it's looking at at least another what six months or so before any physical products come out. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, what, and what you might see, too, is like, you know, it, as we play test more and as we get a sense of, of where we are and the progress we're making, that's probably also internally we'd start firming up more of our, OK, now, you know, we're going to start working on the logo and things like that. Sure. So uh, that but yeah, that, that's, that's probably a, a pretty good rule of thumb. So. Cool. Uh, so a couple of questions more about the play test and advice for running it. Mm-hmm. One of the things uh, some people have noticed is that uh, this playtest f- seems to focus a lot on combat. Yeah. Like, uh, so are you planning on doing future playtests with the other pillars? Oh, yeah. So one of the things which we – one of the reasons why we chose uh, the Caves of Chaos was it's very open-ended. And it was something where I wanted DMs to kind of feel like if they wanted to do a lot of improv, you know, or just kind of start adding their own elements, how easy was that was that for them to do? So the um, what I'd like to be able to do is as we move forward um, and also kind of intentionally kind of testing, stress testing that ability like, hey, DM, the core as it stands now doesn't have a lot of like, you know, hard and fast mechanics for things like climbing or swimming or whatever. It is a lot of it's just kind of like picking a a DC and running with it, um, kind of forcing our hand there. Like, okay, we can give a very bare bones adventure. It's very, you know, dungeon crawly kind of, you know, do it yourself. And then see how DMs are able to hit how how comfortable DMs feel using that kind of adventure within the rule set. But yeah, what, what I like to do, especially as we move forward, is um, it'll probably we'll probably stay with really simple adventures to begin with, especially again as we're focusing on the core. But then start branching out to things like, for example, if we have the the, the tactical rule set, that's an obvious one, right? There'd probably be some adventures with a little bit more complex battles. Um, you know, it's an interesting question when you look at things like exploration and, and interaction, like. You know, there will be people there, – there I'm sure there are people out there who would say interaction is the number one thing I like. I like interacting with NPCs. I like the kind of story elements of that, and I don't want any rules for it. 
right? As opposed to something like combat, where someone could say, I don't think many people would say, hey, I think combat's the best part of the game, and I don't want to have any rules for combat. I want it to be as simple as possible. Right. So there's, there's an interesting balancing act there, you know? So it's going to be, it's kind of funny, right? Where it's very easy for us to conceptualize, like, okay, if you like combat, you want more emphasis there, you probably want our tactical rule set. But for interaction, it might be the guys who say, actually, I want to just skim over interaction with some die rolls, that they... That might be where where rules come in, and the guys who love interaction actually just want to be able to wing it, right? So it's it's an interesting, it's a very interesting interaction, I think, between those those sort of pillars of the game as we've called them, and, and how people interact with them in terms of the mechanics. Right. Yeah, I know. I came up with a fair bit of that that sort of conversation, even just about the Medusa. Yeah. <laughs> Because people are like, she can't turn it off because it doesn't say she can turn it off. And I was like, well, but it doesn't say she can either. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Of like, how many rules do you have to give people and how many do they just want to make up their own mind about how it works? Right. So people uh, just completed their surveys on the first playtest package. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you mentioned that different moments or different packages from the playtest are going to be focused on specific things that you're looking at. So what's, what specifically in the first round were you looking at? Uh, what, you know, what were the, the main mechanics that you were testing? Oh yeah. So that was the, um, let's see that actually I have a file here. I'm going to try to open up and find it. The, um, that was really just looking at the core system, you know, just the core idea of, Hey, you're going to DM this game or you're going to play do, do, do our basic, does our basic approach to task you know, tasks, whether it's saves or checks or, or we threw in contests is a new thing, which we really haven't done much with yet, but you'll see in the tactical rules, those get used more often. Um, how much is that, how that is just working at the table? You know, I kind of mentioned before, like, you know, with Caves of Chaos, this is very open-ended, kind of like, an, like it, it just kind of tells you, here is stuff that exists. Now do whatever you want with it. And, and kind of throwing DMs into the deep end and seeing, hey, d- does this work, right? Or do people need, do they need more? So I think in some ways it was almost like nailing down that philosophy of what is the very essence of D&D. And, um, oh, man, I had a spreadsheet that lists like the 10 issues that came up the most. Oh. And I, I can't find it. I'd, oh, you know what? It's on my network drive. Sorry, just one sec. I was looking at my... Uh, I guess I'm kind of a nut about backing up. And so I almost do all my work is on the network drive here. And, and I'll just kind of talk and make noise as I look for this file. (laughs) So, yeah. So what's interesting is, um, a lot of the stuff, again, it kind of goes back to the core system. So issues we've seen come up, people really like the pace of play. Um, there was a chunk of people who weren't necessarily crazy about it, but they weren't unhappy with it. But I think those are maybe, maybe people who wanted a little more granular detail and mechanics. Um, the disadvantage advantage that that went over very well. So that's another thing to say. Hey, this is a new way of approaching bonuses that that you're applying on the fly. Does that just make people happy, or would they rather be dealing with numbers? Um, but then there's like some pretty spe- uh, specific things. Like people really just they weren't crazy about the rules for surprise. Um, critical hits were kind of lukewarm. I think people expect a little bit more. Um, anything dealing with healing, except for the rules for dying. A lot of people just, eh, they weren't crazy about those rules. So that, that's the kind of thing where we just know, hey, that's that's a very core part of the game, right? We don't really want to make a lot of, like, uh, we don't want, like, figuring out how you take damage to be something that has a lot of weird options and rules modules. It should just be something where that just works and you don't have to worry about it. So that's one area where, we're, you know, again, it kind of speaks back to the core game mechanics that, that we'll have to look at. 
the uh, and cleric cleric healing. What was another area, right? Where just the amount of healing um, when you used one of the spells or abilities, like you know, how much did you get? How many times could you use it? And just you know, the thing of like, hey, should I be giving it my action to use this? Should I be able to, to do something else and use this? You know, things like that. So that's the kind of stuff we're looking for. So it feels pretty good that we've gotten some pretty clear feedback. Now, again, with the caveat, we don't have the final results. So probably next Monday we'll sit down. This is just based on, I think I grabbed some data from like mm -hmm. uh, Monday or two. No, it was last Friday. So after the first couple of days. Um, so th this might change. But, um, you know, it, it's good to get those kind of issues out of the way up front. Because, so, again, it, it's going to make the rest of the process go much faster and be much easier for us if we can solve these things up front. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, advantage and disadvantage specifically as being something that people liked. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, I think it is one of those things because it, it's so different than what they're used to seeing in D&D. &D. Um, it's grabbed a lot of attention. Um, do you have any tips for people who are running the game on when to use advantage and disadvantage versus when to use a, a plus two or minus two or, or whatever, you know, um, so I think so, because it's so new, people are, are, are struggling a little bit of figuring out exactly when to use it and when not to use it. So I think a good rule of thumb is if a player describes something or does something that makes you think, Hey, this really should not guarantee success, but really push the character towards success that I think it's time to use that mechanic. Because one of the things that that represents, if you notice, if you, you know, if you, if you look at the material, we've really stripped out all the little plus ones and plus twos that used to float throughout the combat system and throw out all the spells and stuff. So it's really about saying, look, either either this is important enough that it's worth slowing down the game for, or otherwise just ignore it. You know, just gloss over it. Um, because I, I think one of the things we kind of decided was, look, any math you're doing at the table, uh, as far as changing the numbers in your character sheet. It should be because something really important is happening. Uh, now, things like maybe a bless spell that maybe just gives you plus one. We've, we've talked about that a bit. I can't remember what bless looks like in the playtest. I just completely forgotten. But that's kind of thing where maybe we'd say that's plus one, but that lasts for a really long time. So you can just kind of pencil. You can do that math like, hey, you've rested for the night or the adventure's beginning. Someone casts bless, and you just kind of note next to all your attack numbers or your, your check numbers, you're getting plus one. But really, we got We really, really want to be able to avoid making plus one something that's that's popping around the table. Like, hey, I'm giving you plus one because of spell, or I did this thing, and, and you know, I, I, I uh, you know, the orc fell over. He's prone. I'm attacking him, so I get plus two. You know, where it's not really swinging the results in a really big way. So, I, and I think it's been it's been nice to see it go over well because I think it's a big part of of helping to speed up play. You know, that you're not constantly going around the table fishing for those plus ones. That it's just you have it or you don't. And, you know, I, I think that's really key because, again, I think that's something where D&D, &D, uh, where we really want to make the game possible, you know, if you're just using just the core, that the mechanics move very quickly. That, that you can get on with, with the adventure and finish an adventure in a couple hours. Tracy, you get the last question. Anything you want to ask? <laughs> Anything at all. Oh, no. Oh no! I was just—I was just wondering uh, on that too. I noticed that a couple of the items had plus twos. So I'm guessing you guys still haven't gone through and cleaned up, or maybe there's other reasons why there might be a plus two in some of the items. I think the climbing kit still has a plus two. Yeah, and I think that's something which we'll we'll figure out as we go forward. I think one of the things we want to be able to do is like, like something like the climbers kit, where we feel like, hey, the player is going to buy that for his character, and then just 
you can just write down before the, the game begins, okay. like, oh, I have plus two on climb check, you know, things like that, where where it's really just the player tracking that, and it's not the interaction between the player and the DM. But that but that is something which we'll look at and say, look, is this still, is this really worth it, right? Is this something that's interesting? Like, um, one of the things I like that we did was with Thieves Tools, um, it basically opens up something that you couldn't otherwise do. You mm-hmm. know, like, it's like, hey, if you want to pick the sock, we need to have these tools and you need, you need to know how to use them. We're not really distorting the DCs or giving you a big bonus here. It's just like, oh, I can do this now. You know, and, and I think that's where, I mean, personally, that's where I'd like to end up with equipment, like, say, like the climbing kit, where you can say, okay, the climbing kit doesn't necessarily give you a static bonus, or maybe it does give you advantage, but but maybe what it actually does is it just says, hey, um, you can climb surfaces that otherwise you wouldn't be able to climb you know, like the absolute flat, perfectly flat wall, which you wouldn't be the climb. Well, you have a climber's kit and you can actually now attempt that climb. You know, things right. like the, I'm not sure how we represent that mathematically. I, maybe it would just, you, you get a climb speed that's kind of low, but it's like, hey, I can I can always climb, you know, at least 10 feet around, you know, with, with this kit, things like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because I noticed too, there's a magnifying glass, I think, that gives you uh, advantage on a praise, on checking a praise. So I was just... Oh, yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out where you guys were, were going or if you were just trying to like test out all those different options and seeing which ones people liked or, or things like that. Yeah, with with, with the items, like it, I don't know, people point out there's, there's a, lot of, a ton of problems with the armor chart right now. And that's a lot of that is just kind of placeholder stuff. Like we actually almost didn't send the playtest out with it, but kind of like at the last minute we said, you know what, people, even this stuff isn't fully functional, but it's still useful because people are going to find these items or, you know, they're on their character sheets. We might as well just kind of go and take a little bit of a risk and throwing this out there before it's ready. But right. uh, and that even extends to the magic items. So the, the magic items is like, there's like a staff of healing and a couple like plus one, like a plus one hand axe, plus one chain mail. Uh, we, we really, we have a direction now, um, but it's the stuff in the playtest packet doesn't really re- reflect our thinking right now. And I think that the way we're looking at it is it's not going to surprise anyone. You know, there's likely to be something like a plus one, you know, plus one chain mail in the game. But I would like to see us emphasize more things. Like if you find, say a pseudomagical plate mail, it's not plus two plate mail. It's like, it's adamantine plate mail or it's armor crafted from, um, you know, the, uh, now I'm completely blanking. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, oh no, it's, if, if you find a magic flail, instead of it being a plus one flail, it might be, oh, it's a flail of hurricanes. You know, I can use it to generate these gale force winds, or it's a, it's a hammer of thunderbolts or the vorpal sword, you know, where we're putting right. more emphasis on the kind of the story elements to it, the special abilities it has, the kind of interesting things it lets you do, uh, rather than just the math. Mm-hmm. So it's almost kind of like how we handle themes where it's like, you know, we didn't, themes aren't just things that give you plus one to attack. It's more like, oh, my theme is uh, I'm a healer, so I can make healing potions. And if I do heal you, I'm really good at it, right? Things like that. Then you can kind of picture in your mind, oh, what's a healer look like in the world of D&D? You can, you can imagine there's someone in the world who calls himself a healer who use, uses these abilities. Right. Cool. All right. Well, any, any last thoughts you want to share with the, the world about playtesting? No. Um, just get out there and play the game. You know, and even if, if you don't have a group, um, it's still useful for us if you just read the rules. I mean, even just the gut reactions you get, right? If you read the rules and are like, I would not want to play this game because it's just this com- these combat rules are lame, right? Like, even hearing that is useful, right? Because I think a lot of, I mean, half of, half of an RPG is wanting to play it, right? Like, you could have the best rule set in the world, but if it, it's hard to understand or if, like, you just, it feels kind of dry and you're just not getting excited about it, uh, even that's useful for us. So, yeah, if you can play, please get out there and play. If you can't, it still just feedback based on reading is still also useful to us. So, 
Right on. Well, thank you very much for joining us again for your, I think we said, fourth appearance <laughs> on the show. Cool. Thanks for having me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at Gen Con. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah I'll be at the show this year. It should be a good time. So we want to say a thank you to GameRadio.com, Continue Magazine, Mike Merles, Watsy's PR for setting things up, and Dave Chalker. Dave, where can people find you? As always, critical-hits.com or on Twitter at DaveTheGame. Uh, you can always contact us uh, through email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or on the biz line at 919-BizTome. And you can find show notes for all these things that we've discussed over on the show notes at thetomeshow.com. And that is episode 197, where we learned how to help you help D&D to help you. In this episode of... I'm also lost.